Hello, everyone. Happy 2022. I'm Rob Johnson of Rob Johnson Communications. We welcome you to season two of our podcast, Can You Hear Me? This is episode 14, 2022 CEO Concerns, How to Manage Omicron. It's going to kick off our season here, and we're thrilled to be back. Happy New Year to you all, our frequent and new listeners. Our regular listeners know that on our show, we discuss the major communications and business issues of our time and share perspectives that help leaders of all businesses thrive. And I'm Eileen Rochford, CEO of the marketing and strategy firm, The Harbinger Group. We're going to get into many new and some recurring topics this year in season two. But we know that right now, the world just can't shake COVID and all of the challenges and ramifications that it poses to businesses everywhere. That's right, Eileen. If you feel like this is some sort of cruel, broken record kind of situation, well, it seems like it is. Nearly two years ago, nobody could have predicted what the impact of a pandemic like COVID would have been. It has significantly changed our worlds forever. Then a year ago, vaccines were just beginning, and there was a sense of hope that we would be able to overcome this and move on as a society. Then summer came along with the number of vaccinations increasing, with a larger number of places opening up. Remember that, Eileen? It was so July of 2021, wasn't it? Yeah. And then the Delta variant quickly took hold in what seemed like the blink of an eye. God, that was so fast. It was crazy. Cases rose and safeguards like masks were reinstated in places like here in Illinois. Vaccination boosters were approved to minimize risks to our health. Thank goodness. And for a short while, it did seem like things were getting quite a bit better. But then wham, in early December, Omicron started spreading even more rapidly. And we now know that this new variant is, while it's more contagious, it's potentially less severe, at least to most people who are fully vaccinated. A country that was opening up six months ago is hunkering down once again in a lot of ways. And our healthcare system, it's severely strained once more, which poses a danger to everybody, not just those infected with COVID. That's really true. But unlike nearly two years ago in 2020, when the country literally shut down and large corporations and small businesses alike struggled to figure out a pandemic that had no playbook, there is no talk of shutting down here. Tightening restrictions? Yes. Requiring proof of vaccination for entry into events, venues, and restaurants? In some cases, work? Yes. Canceling or postponing upcoming events that might attract large crowds? Yes. We all recognize that life must go on and the wheels of business and commerce must continue to turn. That's just reality. Mm -hmm. So finding the safest ways to talk to make all of that happen, that's what we're going to explore today and all of the issues involved with those considerations. So recently, we were interested to see a survey of CEOs done by CNBC, which explored CEO concerns moving forward. And almost all of these concerns were directly or indirectly related to COVID. The first takeaway, it's fairly obvious. Their belief, which many of us seem to share, is that COVID's never going to just end. It'll evolve and become part of our way of life. The virus in its past, current, future forms will always have to be managed and accounting accounted for because we just know it's not going to go away. It's just kind of going to meld into the fabric of our way of life. The CNBC survey indicated CEOs believe all this doesn't necessarily mean any extremes like all remote work and staying away from offices forever, rather adaptations like the hybrid options that we're seeing are seeming to be more and more prevalent as well as they're becoming permanent. And in a lot of sectors where companies 
uh, sectors rather in companies that we just wouldn't have expected that to be the case. That's true. And you know, what's interesting to me, Eileen, is, is several clients that I have who spent the last two years saying, okay, 4th of July, we're coming back. Labor Day, we're coming back. New Year, we're coming back. And then they did another year of that. And then it's January, we're coming back. And then Omicron hits. And now some of them are saying, you know what? Some of them, some of them are back in the office. Some of the workers, not, not in a full scale, but, but hybrid is part of what they do. And instead of saying, all right, you know, early January didn't work. We're doing, um, you know, St. Patrick's day or Easter or whatever it is they're they're just kind of leaving it open-ended, which I think is a really good way to do it because you keep kicking that can down the road and people are like, when are we returning to office? Mm -hmm. Well, what they've learned also over the past couple of years is a lot of people like working from home. That's true. Uh, but having a hybrid option, I think, is vital. So to your point that you just made, it's unlikely that unless all remote work is your posture already, it's unlikely that will happen. But something of a hybrid schedule is likely. Definitely. And there's you know a lot wrapped into that, as we've discussed on past episodes. But in my opinion, I think that's a fantastic outcome, almost an innovation that's come out of um, you know this challenge. Um, some of the the you know darker you know underbelly aspects of that whole stop start now no back and forth is uh, it's created a lot of fatigue amongst employees. Frankly, uh, everybody knows you know I've been working around the clock way more than we had in the past. So. Over time, that's just frayed at the edges um, of people's patience um, and they're just their mental health and other things. Overall health, we've seen it. So there's a, there's a lot for companies to consider, even in, once they do return in some capacity, whether it's um, two days a week in the office and three days back at, at homework or whatever you know that form it might take in their organization, they're going to have to reckon with all of the... Um, consequences, impacts of having had the last two years that we've had. So it's not going to just stop, you know, like we said before, COVID isn't going away. It's melding into the fabric of our lives. And I think in the next year, one of the big considerations for leaders will be how to make sure uh, they support um, their people adequately as they're just dealing with all of those consequences, consequences and implications. So, you know, I think that leaders have to keep that top of mind as they're returning to office and, and how they communicate with their folks, the frequency of it, the empathy that's baked into it, the authenticity of, you know, their support. All of those things are, they're very real and very important as we're sorting this through. That's how I see it. I think it's very important. It's a great point that you're making because while people initially were like, well, once we get back into the office, and then I think after a while they realized, okay, the way we knew that before isn't going to happen. But as it relates to what you just brought up, the mental health issue, because it's not going away, because there's always another, you know, Greek lettered alphabet name variant that's coming down the road. The next one might be gamma. The next one might be, you know, whatever it's, whatever the next one is going to be, we're going to have to deal with it. And that is a tremendous stress. I think as people try to, to figure out their personal lives and their professional lives, because it's not going away, if you're making an investment into that, and I know some CEOs and some companies are, that's a really smart thing to do because 
while you can change schedules or say, Hey, we're going to do a hybrid schedule or this or that. And some people actually like working from home. I know that I get a ton of work done in my home office and I'll still go downtown several days a week. But you know, if I'm in my home office, that's not a day off. That's just, I know I can just back to back to back and go all day. So that's one thing, but the mental health issue, the burden, the stress of this uncertainty, I think these companies are smart to, to address those issues. Yeah. And what you just said, working from home does tend to produce in a lot of areas, very high productivity. The problem is like we've, we've been forced into this situation of living almost in two worlds. So holding the expectations of the old world, which is you're present, you're accountable, you're on from at least nine to five. And, you know, most places beyond that for sure. And that we, in the new world, we realized, Ooh, we don't have the commute. We have more time in our day. We can cram more things in. So people just over time became more tired, more frustrated. Their patience, you know, is, is waning. They're dealing with all of these family um, issues, their own health issues, their childcare issues. It's, it's been going on for so long now that the employees that you had two years ago are probably not the employees you have today. Mm -hmm. So leaders kind of have to just let go of the old, I want it back the way it was, or even, you know, the expectations that were kind of baked into maybe 20 years of working and thinking likely a lot of the same things and now realize they may be the same person, but they're not in the same state of mind. Not even close. Yeah. So approaching everything now has to be done so much more thoughtfully and uh, yeah, we throw this word around a lot, but I do believe it. It's 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 empathy. It's also compassion, right? And um, being willing to support those words with actions. So change. That's what that means. So f- when I think about that, I think okay, because they're getting more done in their home environments. Do we really have to have the same long work days? Right. Or can we give flexibility, you know, an hour break, two days in the middle of the week, end your week earlier? I don't know. There are so many ways that you could allow people to reset and recharge. We say that a lot here, but that's kind of how I look at it. So, but the other um, thing is, you, you've, you're walking the walk and talking the talk. I mean, so you, you say it, but then in your company, the Harbinger Group, you're actually doing it as the boss. You're making these things priorities. And the, that's a great point to, to talk about. This isn't just some person. The, the advice you're giving isn't just advice you're giving to people. It's this is what you do every day. And hey, Mr. Mrs. Fellow CEO, you might <laughs> consider these things. And, and I think that that's very powerful. And I recognize, you know, ours is an independent organization. And as one of the two principals and the the primary owner, controlling interest owner of the organization, you know, these decisions can be made much more easily than they can in a larger sure. entity. That's true. That's true. No doubt about it. Um, but the the framework from which decisions are made um, honestly could be no different in any size organization. It's the putting people first and recognizing that it's the world is just not the same. And our people, whether they're new to the organization or coming from another, they've been through two years 
that have had serious impacts on how they think, how productive they can be, really how much are they at the top of their game and and how much more can they take? So Gosh, I wish we could record. Oh, we are recording this. This is terrific. So we can, so people can so people can hear this. Well, listen, the insights that you have as a CEO are so important, Eileen. But I also like other quotes from some of the CEOs that we just referenced in the uh, in the article we were talking about. Mike Parra, the CEO of the logistics company DHL, because industries like theirs, COVID has allowed business to boom. They're in logistics, even though the logistical challenges have never been greater. He says. And now we're about to enter this new phase of the unknown, talking about Omicron. And then we're back into cycles in Europe of potential lockdowns. You have very strict positions in China where they want to eradicate COVID. So their rules are different than Europe's, which are different than the United States. You've got restrictions from a flight perspective. You've got the impact on transportation. The fear of running out of inventory is now embedded in the supply chain. Companies going from just in time, which is what it used to do. Uh, it's now just in case. That's that's today's reality. And I was just reading something this morning about how the supermarket shortages again are that we saw in 2020 when they were make, people were making runs on supermarkets when, it, when this first happened. They're starting to happen again. The supply chain issues are starting to happen again. But imagine being the CEO of a logistics company whose business is taking off because there's, you know, there's, The supply chain's never been more important. And yet, because of the realities of the the gaps in the supply chain right now, he has worries about it. So, hey, business Mm -hmm. is booming. Love it. The other side of it is, oh, my gosh, uh, just in case (laughs) rather Mm -hmm. than just in time. I mean, that's pretty, pretty dramatic. And what I take from his comments, um, while they're directly... um, about the logistics industry, the idea of having to now be in the frame of mind of creating just-in-case scenarios, no matter your industry, is 100% here to stay for the foreseeable future. And think about that. That means that now leaders have to be doing two and many more, but at least these two very important jobs running the show per the current business strategy and goals and all along every second of every day, making sure that there's scenario B, there's scenario C, there's scenario D, uh, just waiting in the wings in the event that something happens. So um, I feel for these leaders that the stress that they must be under is tremendous. I mean, we're always talking about employees and how leaders um, need to be thinking about making their employee situations um, as good as possible so that their companies can thrive. These leaders themselves, what they have endured in the last two years, I kind of equate it to when you look at pictures of someone who's entered office as the president of the United States, and then when they leave four or eight years later, what, and they, what they look, look like, like mm-hmm. and how significantly they have aged visibly aged because of the trauma, the stress, uh, the anxiety associated with a job that is literally 24 seven and has the weight of the world <laughs> on that person's shoulders. Right. And, and That's kind you, of what I see, you know, them going through. And what you just pointed out was, you know, you're not having to come up with plan a or maybe plan B, but now plan C and plan D. I mean, it's a lot of work 
that is a lot of work to, to sort of uh, map that out with your team, your leadership team. And, and, and so you end up may using one or two. Fortunately, you may be in a position where you only have to use plan A. Mm-hmm. Might have to go to plan B, but then you still had to work on the other one. So to your point, that's, that's, a, that's a real stressor too, because you have to come up with all these different scenarios and make sure that you're uh, attending to all of them. And you're communicating to all of your constituencies, whether it's your customers, your partners, and of course, your own people, that the situation is in hand no matter what may develop. That's hard to do. That's an art in and of itself. Sure. So, you know, make that job number three, becoming, you know, master communicator who's aware of the need for frequent communication about all of this in order to foster uh, trust and comfort. That's a lot, a lot on their shoulders. Yeah. Great point. So another issue covered in that uh, CNBC report was simplifying business models during a time of such dramatic volatility. And a terrific example that um, I think we can talk about is let's look at the restaurant industry. So initially, um, and still is, it's heavily and very negatively in most cases impacted by our, the consumers changing pandemic habits, as well as the mandates that uh, affected them so deeply as business owners. And at the start, if you remember, almost all restaurants closed indoor dining and they could only offer carry out or delivery. That was a big switch in and of itself that they had to quickly adopt. But once they reopened and to this day, that experience of dining inside of restaurants, it's so vastly different than what we recall from before. Again, that theme of Yesterday is not today and it never will be, right? So when you're in the restaurant and you're viewing a menu that's on your own phone and you're using your phone to pay them, so contactless payments for health and safety, all these things, these are big things, huge innovations that actually I think are great. But but because of staff shortages, right now you might walk into a restaurant and encounter a line of people waiting to be seated, but tables are visibly open. And that's largely due to lack of staff. Another big thing that just... Uh, came out of the pandemic, the hardships endured by so many businesses, especially these small and these independent businesses. Well, you know, yeah, they've caused too many to go under. And obviously we all agree that's that's a terrible tragedy, no doubt about it. No doubt. But some of this, the simplification and innovation that's resulted from all of these hardships and changes, it's created a lot of progress in many, many new ways. Uh, you know, in my opinion, I'm sure you see that too, Rob. Um, just within the restaurant business, for example, that's that's a that's a good thing that came out of it. <clears throat> I noted to my husband the other day as we were taking a walk. Um, I walked by a small independent um, driving school, and the driving school reminded me of the difference between my son's experience, who's about three years older than our daughter, when he they both attended private high schools and they couldn't take advantage of taking driver's ed within a public high school. So when you go to a private high school, pretty much anywhere, it's a lot harder to get your driver's license. It takes longer because you can't do it during your school day. And there were all these rules about the older son having to physically be at this driving school, like three hours or something every Saturday for, I don't know, eight weeks, something ridiculous. Right. And he uh, was, and still is, he's a music artist. So 
he had other weekend obligations as many, many kids do, frankly. Sure. Um, and his, so his were music obligations and to fit all that in was really hard. It took him an extra year as a result to get his, his actual driver's license after having the permit and doing all that business. But our daughter, on the other hand, because we were in lockdown, these tiny driving schools in the state, they made these changes that allowed students to take that in classroom, I think, portion of getting your driver's license in, I mean, she had it in like a month and it was all online. She had to go nowhere. It was all computer-based, of course, but you know, the quizzes, the recording, the generation of their certifications, everything. It was bam, you're done. Go get that permit and start, you know, racking up your hours. That's just another one that came to mind to me is, um, you know, we were walking around. I've so many of, uh, there are so many examples of that, but honestly, I love it. I think there's a lot of this that every day I'm seeing the rapid acceleration of changes that who knows when they would have come about if this hadn't happened. And and I can certainly speak to the driver's ed too, because my son, Jaden and your daughter, Jess are the same age. So they were going through this at the same time. And he did 30 hours of work online in 2020, right when nobody was going anywhere. And it was actually perfect because you couldn't go anywhere. And that's what he did. And then, he, of course, he had to go to in-person to do your actual driving, which you need to do. But all that coursework that that um, you may have had to do in person and you know show up and you know that sort of thing three years ago, that was gone. And so that really is a good innovation. And as it relates to the restaurants, I was just thinking about this, and I posted it on social media this week. And it concerned me because I was in River North with a client, uh, working for a client uh, this week. And I went to lunch at a nearby restaurant, which is terrific. Great food. It's noon. I walk in and they ask for my proof of vax. I show them my vax card. Actually, what's a really good idea and anybody that's thinking about, and some people have thought about doing this, but I've been sharing this with a lot of people, take a picture of your vax card and then also have a picture of your driver's license in the same thing and just have them overlap there. So you're like, that's me. That's my vax card. And, and, and places will accept it. Nevertheless, it's noon and I'm one of two tables at this restaurant. And instead of having staff shortages, which are real, which we were talking about, there was like six, eight, 10 people. I didn't see the people you know, in the kitchen behind the scenes. There's like 10 people that I see and they're, they're like serving me and a two top. And I was like, oh my gosh, please people. I know it's January. It's a slow restaurant month in general, but two restaurants during the lunch rush. Now the good news was by the time I walked out of there, there was like 10 or 12 tables. But still, 10 or 12 tables during the, the lunch rush at a really good restaurant. It's not like super expensive or anything, but a really good, like, you know, mid-level restaurant. It was, it was, I was troubled to see it so much so that I posted something. And I don't usually post things like that on uh, social media, but I was like, come on, folks, let's don't forget about the restaurant industry because, you know, we can't afford not to have them. And we don't want them. And they're not in a posture to do delivery and carry out only, which was the which is what you mentioned, you know, at the beginning of COVID. Now you can do it. There are restrictions, but we got to support these businesses. Yeah, no it's doubt. Restaurants or something else. You know. For context, for our listeners who are not in the city of Chicago, on January third, they're in certain uh, business environments like gyms, restaurants, others, you know, sports venues, like Rob mentioned, uh, showing proof of vaccination along with if you're 16 and over. Um, a photo ID is now required in order to eat inside that restaurant. So that's that's why Rob mentions the proof of vax. 
Um, and it is, it's, it's having an impact, no doubt about it, at least for the short term. So those, those of us who, um, feel comfortable and safe, um, for whatever reason, uh, you know, hopefully you're fully vaccinated and you feel good about it, get out there and, um, in a responsible way, uh, start to support these, um, physical restaurants again, in addition no. to the, the takeout that we've all done so much. You want to be, you want to yeah. be careful for sure. And that's a great point. I'm glad you gave the context to it because just this morning, my son, Jaden, as you know, plays hockey in Michigan and, and his league is having games here. So he's coming home. He's going to get to sleep in his own bed and he's going to be here uh, for, you know, three, four days. But in Michigan, when we were there last week, you walk in a restaurant, there's no mask, there's no vax, there's no nothing. So a lot of places out there don't have the restrictions that Illinois does. And I actually sent an email to the team this morning and just said, hey, here are the rules. We're playing games in Cook County and city of Chicago, which have their own rules. You're staying in DuPage, which have their own rules. And here are the rules. And I was just trying to get everybody up to speed on it because in Michigan, there really are none. And so there's a lot of places like that where they're, you're thinking people are saying, what, you have to wear masks everywhere? What, you have to show proof of vax? Well, yes. And Chicago and Cook County in particular, you have to do that. So that's And a, that a actually raises a, a great um, you know, leadership C-suite consideration for businesses all around, you know, being just cognizant of where your people are going and making sure that they have access to the information that they need in order to comply and in order to be safe, that's, you know, yet another big responsibility and worry uh, that's on their, on their plates today, but a, a super important one because it impacts productivity. If you show up and you don't have it and you can't attend the event or the trade show, um, well, that's a, that's a whole lot of waste of money. So remembering yeah. to think ahead about where are they going? What county lines are they crossing? What are the rules there? All that stuff. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a not lot just today. state. It's not just state by state because it no. has different rules depending on what county you're in. So, and I know that that's the case in. in other states too. So sure. yeah, it's Absolutely. complex, but complex, but important. It is important. Well, you know, staffing shortages, that's another big issue. Uh, and the highly competitive labor market right now are certainly pressing issues for C-suite executives. The pandemic caused workers everywhere to reassess their work lives, which gave rise to the great resignation, which we all know about. For reference, a record 4.5 million Americans voluntarily left their jobs in November. Now, just think of the experience lost and investment in professional development and training that just evaporated due to this scale of resignation, which led Shane Grant, who's the CEO of Dano North America, to say the war on talent in 2022 is going to only intensify. It's about game-changing people policies like gender-neutral parental leave for not only corporate workers, but for frontline workers. It's about institutionalized flexibility. It's about true commitment to diversity actions. And I think those things are going to become true differentiators in this war for talent in 2022. So the point is, not only are you going to have to say, hey, I've got this great job and you know, you're going to be compensated well and you're going to have room for advancement and it's a great company, but a lot of people are asking, what else do you have? What are the benefits? What, what are you paying attention to that have nothing to do with my compensation or say my benefits? And by benefits, we normally mean healthcare. Okay, what am I, what's my salary in healthcare? All right, good. That's not the way it is anymore. No, I see 
lots and lots more job shopping being done and resignations taking place, excuse me, because people want to know I'm in an environment where all of me is seen, heard, respected, supported, and there's a path for me to advance, right? Um, And so much more. That's just a, a few of the things, but I'm seeing a lot more resignations people who might not have ever considered quitting a job or changing industries. You're seeing it all over TikTok. It's quit talk. You know, all the videos of uh, liberation, essentially, of I'm leaving this situation behind because I can. Um, Today's environment allows for that. You know, who knows how long that's going to go on. We've seen um, waves similar to this anyway in the past, you know, a couple of times in the past 20, 30 years. This one's pretty dramatic and it feels um, as if it's a, some a seismic shift has taken place in terms of like the power balance, you know, sure. between the employee and the employer. There's no doubt so, about that. Yeah, it's a big deal. Um, <clears throat> I, I want to mention uh, an article that I saw, I think it was at, right around January 9th or something. It was in the New York Times. And it's titled No More Working for Jerks. (laughs) And this was all over LinkedIn. So much commentary kicked around about it, and rightly so. Um, Super interesting information in here. But the the quit talk phenomenon is, um, it's real, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, again, it's the the power balance shift that we've seen is, is at the heart of so much of that. And I think also the frustration we talked about a little earlier, folks have just decided that a lot of the stuff they put up with in the classic or uh, former <clears throat> corporate environments, uh, let alone commutes and other things associated with it, but the, how they were treated and the you know hierarchy and bureaucracy and other BS, they're just done with it. So when I talked about earlier, you gotta, you gotta recognize that the employees you have today are largely not the employees they were two years ago. Um, this is a a great um, I don't know reflection of that 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 their tolerance level is low and and like I said rightly so. People are they're not only quitting left and right but they're looking for places or creating their own. Another phenomenon I'll mention is uh, the number of people who filed their own limited liability companies or as independent contractors in, in Q4 is the highest seen on record. So people are exercising their own agency as well to yeah. basically set their own environments. Which, which has been terrific. And I can certainly speak to this uh, you know, from the standpoint of having been a W-2 guy working in the television business for as many years as I did. And it's, it, it could be television or any industry. You know, when you go work somewhere, you know, you're working with people. Sometimes you work for good people and sometimes you don't work for good people. Sometimes they're bad people. And, and, and you, you may feel a little like, oh gosh, I don't really like that. And one of the great bits of satisfaction that I've had being able to start my own company is, and, and I don't ha- you, you have employees. I'm still, I, I still collaborate with a lot of people and work with a lot of people, but I don't, I don't have to work with anybody that I don't like to work with. And it's something that's been that, that I really wanted to think about as I started my own business. And as I started to grow my business and scale up is I want to work with good people. I want to work with people that I like working with. I don't want to work with jerks, right? And 
I think that that's for me, that's, that's been very satisfying and on occasion, and, and you know, this as well as anybody having serviced so, as many clients as you have, many of them, most of them are good. And on occasion you run into somebody that's not so good. And my experience has been like, let me get the project done. And then when it's done, I don't want to work with them anymore because I just don't want to deal with that. And could I deal with it? I mean, is the money good and all that kind of, sure it is, but I don't want to work with people that I don't like working with. And so the point that you're making from this article, this recent article is, is spot on. And I'm going to cite something from this article, um, by the way, um, Emma Goldberg is the, the uh, reporter who, who created the piece for the New York Times. I want to give her total credit for this. It was great. About halfway through, she notes that uh, jerkiness takes a toll on productivity. And that's a good thing for us all to remember, particularly internally. You cited external jerkiness forces to, uh, to some degree, sure. Rob. We all encounter those. You know what right. that's like. But right. internally, um, that's that's largely, I think, why this, you know, this article is written, No More Working for Jerks. So keeping an eye on do you have people who behave like jerks inside your organization? Are you kind of on the edge of acting like a jerk at times? Um, the description in here by one of the folks Emma interviewed, they talk about being, you know, work bullies, um, talking about people behind their backs, undermining your colleagues, um, blaming others. Those are all, you know, sometimes subtler behaviors or horribly overt behaviors Leaders need to keep an eye on that for themselves just as much as they do for the folks around them. No doubt about it. I think also when you're in positions of power, you tend to be a little more guilty of that at times. So everybody, you know, keep a check on yourself. Um, and I am constantly reminding myself of this as well. Just keep a check on it. Um, but one thing she said in here, which is crazy, I didn't know this. So Baird, the financial yes. services firm. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, Emma Goldberg in the New York Times said uh, they took the principle a step further by codifying this in their policy. Employees are informed during their orientation of the company's no asshole rule. <laughs> it's written into training materials and their that head is, of HR has fired people for violating it. <laughs> so, of course, that's hard legally. Like, that's no, not terribly enforceable. Um, but um, or at least there's issues surrounding it, but I so appreciate seeing a company having written that into their policy about internal behaviors amongst coworkers. That's refreshing. I've personally uh, lived by and experienced, uh, you know, the kind of no assholes rule mm -hmm. um, externally when it comes to selecting folks to work with as a professional services firm. Uh, you know, it's a it's a policy um, and we certainly hire for fit and, you know, culture here and want people who are you know, kind, decent, as well as highly skilled. But I loved seeing it written about coworkers in a large financial services firm like Baird. That's pretty interesting. Because you think about something like that, they're all about making money. It's like, hey, we got to make money. We got to make money. We got to make money. And, and a lot of times in industries like that, they're willing to turn the cheek if they see something they don't like, if somebody's a great producer or if they're making it rain, you know, whatever the case may be. Yeah. And now for a company to put this in writing, that's real. You put it in writing, in your training, that th we're not going to tolerate this. That That isn't just somebody talking and saying, Here, here's what we're going to do. That's letting everybody know this is the way 
this company is going to do business. And I think it's powerful. And who knows if uh, other companies might adopt something like that in a more formal way. Yeah. And a company as large as Bear to do it. That's pretty cool. Sure. Yeah. I don't know how long it's been around. That wasn't noted in the article, but uh, very interesting to see that. Very interesting. So um, we have issues um, that largely are born out of COVID that we've talked about, which has changed the for, the workforce. But here's another interesting result. According to a recent Bloomberg report, 72% of CEOs are worried about losing their jobs in 2022, which according to labor analysts is extremely high. In fact, Simon Freakley, whose management consulting firm Alex Partners, which queried 3,000 CEOs, called it eye-poppingly high, saying disruptive forces like the supply chain and labor market are all playing out simultaneously, and that's just wreaking havoc on shareholder value, all kinds of things, perception of ability to lead through times of chaos. So that's pretty crazy that CEOs are now uh, saying that uh, they're deeply concerned about their own jobs. And imagine having to manage through as well as, as certainly as you have to do during COVID. Imagine being a CEO having to manage through this where everybody says, yeah, the rules have changed and they're changing on the fly. And here are the new rules and having to be nimble enough to 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 sort of react to those. But then also to say, OK, here's what COVID has started. All these other things like supply chain and labor market, as you just pointed out. But we still have expectations. We still, if you don't, if you don't succeed in this unknown environment, and it's becoming more known the longer we go here. But again, as I said, you know, thirty minutes ago, there's no playbook for this, right? Yeah. So imagine having to play by a totally different set of rules now if you're leading a business because of what's happened. But still, you're like, gosh, if I don't tend to all the things that that are related to this pandemic. And I fail on any one of those fronts, I may be out of a job. Yeah. Now I want to see some flip side research done, which is how many CEOs are considering leaving their jobs. <laughs> You're right. I mean, it's not as common that you see resignations at the CEO level. In fact, it's very uncommon. But they're they've been under the same amount of pressure and much much more so uh, in a lot of ways uh, that we've all been enduring for the for these two years. So. You gotta imagine that there's some secret thoughts happening. Of do I really need this anymore? Because this is pretty awful. I, I Who know knows? You I'd I imagine. Know you I know you didn't mean to do this, but you just teased ahead to the the next episode we're going to talk about, and we're going to talk about the Simon Freakley um, um, comment, the eye poppingly high resignation. You know, CEOs that are worried about losing their jobs. Yeah. Because we're going to talk about non-COVID related issues. So we're talking about COVID related issues here, but then we're going to talk about non-COVID related issues and some of the material, some of the numbers that we have, I think will address what you were just talking about. So that was, uh, I was you just teased that perfectly oh, for, yeah. for our next episode. But I, I do think that it's, I do think it's a very interesting time to be a leader, to be, you know, on an, on a, executive leadership team to be in the C-suite, to be a CEO, because you have to come up with different solutions to problems that, I mean, some problems you've faced before in your career, but a lot of them you haven't. Mm -hmm. And underneath it all, this is my plug, my friendly reminder. It is keep in mind the need for consistent, frequent, 
authentic communications to keep your folks and your teams on board, engaged, and focused on what's ahead of them and instill confidence that uh, the leadership team has things in hand to the degree that they can. You get that right. Well, we could talk about this all day, but we can't. Well, I guess we could, but we're not going to. On our next episode, as I just mentioned, of Can You Hear Me? We're going to take this discussion of CEO concerns that start with COVID, branch out and talk about all the issues keeping CEOs awake at night, having nothing to do with the pandemic. Until then, I'm Rob Johnson, president of Rob Johnson Communication. And I'm Eileen Rochford, CEO of the Harbinger Group. We thank you for listening and we hope you join us again next time. Remember, you can listen to Can You Hear Me wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, and more.